Footnotes. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the Footnotes podcast. This is episode 24, I think. Yes. Wow. Amazing. 24, 24 weeks. Um, uh, I'm not going to start every podcast with that same line, but uh, good, to, good to see you, June. It's been yeah. a good reading week of mine and not yours, but um, <laughs> I'm very relaxed and ready to go back to the usual grind. Amazing. Um, yeah, what have you been up to? Oh, what have I been up to? Yeah. Well, hmm, actually, actually, this week's been pretty interesting. Um, you know, so we started off the week watching a documentary about Partners in Health. Which yes. Is an organization started by uh, Dr. Paul Farmer. Um, bending the Ark. And yes, Bending the Ark. And Jim Young Kim. And they've gone to do many, you know, wonderful things. Jim Young Kim served as the president of the World Bank a few years ago. Um, and Paul Farmer is still doing his you know, major global health work throughout the developing world. So really cool story, really cool documentary. Um, the part that stood out to me the most was that um, Paul Farmer, before starting med school at Harvard, um, he was 23 or something, just flew over to Haiti um, and then just tried to get a job there because he wanted to work there because he had worked with the Haitian people before mm. picking oranges at an orange farm. So, you know, that was, that was really inspirational moment of the, of the week. Um, you know, maybe if you stick to something for 40 something years, um, you you can do a lot of good. Yeah. Um, so, Does that, you know, that, that inspire you to like, for ideas for your, uh, when you're off? when you're exploring yeah i mean one of the things that partners in health is so it started in haiti uh it expanded to peru south america mm -hmm. it's now doing work and a lot of work in rwanda and a lot of uh, rwanda sierra leone a lot of african nations um, to help build healthcare systems from the ground up um, and one of its recent, most latest projects will be happening in Canada with the, the Anishinaabe Nation in Northern Ontario. Um, and their aim is to provide highly, you know, high quality healthcare um, that in partnership with the people there, not just flying in and dropping supplies and then leaving. Mm -hmm. Partners in Health is the fundamental idea is partnership and accompaniment uh, and not to say here's some money or funding or budget with uh, budgets with earmarks so you have to report to us everything you do mm -hmm. uh, not kind of that it's a, it's a very different idea so um you know paul farmer also shows a lot of the fuck you kind of mentality when faced with uh, different situations so you know i could tell you this one story so when they were starting uh tuberculosis treatment in peru because you know that was one of the uh, infectious diseases that they were taking care of. Um, they were running across a strain, you know, very difficult cases. Um, and they kept wondering, like, why these treatments that had worked in Haiti weren't working in Peru all of a sudden. Um, and they had found out that it was actually multi-drug resistant uh, tuberculosis that was developing and spreading um, in Peru. So according to the who uh, the guidelines at the time was um it is too expensive way too expensive to treat and way too complex for you know developing healthcare systems to follow in low resource settings so the guidelines was you can't treat it but you know and these developing healthcare systems uh, apparently really follow the who guidelines to a t uh, and their officials get very upset if you try to you know, fuck around with it because that's kind of all they have. And, and that's the, their kind of like main source of authority, if you could imagine, in a developing world kind of But, you know, Paul Farmer and Jim Young Kim and the rest of the PIH team who are there are seeing the day-to-day, -day, you know, realities of, you know, there are sick patients, they are dying. We know how to treat them, but the government won't let us. So what do they do? You know, they say, fuck you, this is not right. And they start basically smuggling in uh, tuberculosis drugs mm -hmm. 
uh, there's a really funny moment in the film where uh, Jim Young Kim is like, yeah, I would go back to, you know, Harvard or the, the surrounding hospitals in Boston, ask colleagues to give whatever they have, you know, to him. He would pack it all up in just like a suitcase and stuff. And then he would go over and it would, it was him that was traveling because um, at that time, or probably even now, they thought the Asians were just tourists and you yeah. know, they weren't <laughs> unlikely to you know, carry over anything sketchy around. So that's how they brought all these um, drugs into Peru. And they started by treating one of you know, a, a health celebrity in Peru kind of, um, his daughter had multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. So they cured her of that and then got other patients on similar, very complex, very difficult to follow um, treatment regimens. And, you know, the, the outcomes, the survival rates, the, the cure rates were just as better, at, if not even better than what you would expect in Canada or, or in Boston. Mm -hmm because of their commitment, because of their um, use and dedication uh, to um, community health workers. Um, so, you know, all in all, very inspiring. Mm. Very fuck the system, go out there and do what you think needs to be done. Yeah, I, I watched it like th three months ago, I think. Um, mm. But the, some of the messages still ring, tr ring through. Uh, what I'm really like, kind of like, surprised by is that they didn't really get in trouble for smuggling drugs out of the country. Um, from what I understand, they actually gained data from doing that and then use that to prove the fact that like this was sustainable and that this was an effective way of uh, addressing the tuberculosis problem. So yeah, that's kind of interesting that, you know, they, they were sort of excused because the outcome was so good. Yeah. You know, in those tricky situations, you do first, and then you apologize later if you need to. Yeah. You know, um, I'm sure if they had been caught during that time, you know, there might have been legal repercussions. But, you know, you can't argue with what they did. And by this point, um, I don't think the government of Peru uh, will necessarily seek them out for helping them develop a multi-drug resistant tuberculosis pro program and bringing healthcare to Peru. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some like cynical or evil forces behind not providing these drugs to a developing nation, you know? Um, and maybe like it, it took this sort of campaigner, this, uh, this champion to sort of show people that this is something that we should be doing, that this is something that, that is needed. Um, despite Peru being like a totally different country somewhere else in the world, they, they sort of globalize this idea uh, or, or further globalize the idea of health. Um, and, and they did it just, you know, as almost like frontline workers, which is amazing to see, right? They're not, they're not policymakers or anything like that. They, they went on to become more, um, more influential people, I suppose, uh, in the systems, but yeah, they just started out as being, I don't know, medical students and uh, healthcare providers, which is awesome. Right, of course, and you know, they they see something that needed to be changed, that they had the knowledge to make better, mm -hmm. and they said, "We're we're going to do it." <laughs> and you know, every time there's there's resistant. There's resistance with the you know existing institutional institutions, existing dogmas, ingrained ways of thinking, saying we can't possibly treat you know those kind of complex patients. Mm -hmm. It's too expensive. Doesn't make sense from a cost effectiveness point of view. Um, and what's really frustrating about that is that there's you know there's a difference between cost and the price of something. So the true cost of something, so like, let's say the, the tuberculosis drugs, you know, the cost of something can be brought real, really down. Like how, how much like raw resources and energy and time would it take to make and distribute those kind of medications? 
I don't know. It wouldn't be a small amount, but mm -hmm. but according to like market conditions, that you know, true cost can be like extremely inflated. Um, you know, based on patents and like the the ways that drug companies work and uh, the the prices, as you probably know, and as many people know, can be extremely exaggerated. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if there is a will to lower that cost in order to deliver that treatment towards a wider audience of people, then you can get the cost down. So what they did was um, they looked to see if there had the patents on these medications had expired. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, they had for like five years. So what they could do at that point is to make a deal with a generic manufacturer in the country to produce that drug for you know, much, much, much lower price, like maybe 10,000% cheaper than how they would have acquired it in the States. So, you know, it, it, it seems very complex, but it can also be boiled down to like, what do you value more? Like if you value profit, if you value cost effectiveness and, and uh, you don't care about poor people, uh, the answer is, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's simply too cost, you know, <laughs> cost inefficient yeah yeah cost inefficient yeah but like you have those justifications without knowing where that's coming from without knowing the underlying values that are you know espousing them mm -hmm. but you know if you come from a place of hey there are sick and dying people in front of me and i need to get <laughs> i need to get these resources to them then i don't know things become a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's like a lesson in, in money as well, like an economy. Yeah. I always forget that money is nothing without the value behind it, right? The, yeah. We place value in a lot of things. And that's that's how like investments work. That's how a lot of like stock market, uh, how, how that works is people have faith or belief in, in the value of something. And yeah. that's what changes the cost and price of things. Yeah. And, like, yeah. We can talk about that a little bit more because like if you start thinking about that it's kind of crazy like like the structures of the world and the world economy like everything depends on like what humans value mm -hmm. and like what we value more than others so if there's a restructuring of values then it can be a restructuring of i don't know everything of the economy of the systems of politics of yeah like even geography or, or how buildings are built or the sustainability of the technologies we have. There's so many things that can be changed yeah. through advocacy, which is something that we often sort of brush off um, because I think you said this at some point, it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other and whoever yells louder sort of has the upper hand. Um, yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy idea. We, we could theoretically flip the world if everyone were to just change their mind all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, if only it were that easy. Well, <laughs> just wow. at, the, at the snap. <laughs> um, that'd be miraculous. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I, I think I've spent a lot of time trying to cultivate my own values and, and trying to figure out what is important to me. And I, I know that you've done the same, but something that I've never really thought of, and you kind of bring this up is like, what, what are the values that we as a society have or, or the community around us? Like what, what are the values that people uphold and how is that expressed through day-to-day uh, -day life as well as, you know, big movements like with policies and, and with um, technological advances advancements and, and stuff like that. I, I can't seem to wrap my head head around it. I, I think it's it's very hetero heterogeneous, mm -hmm. but there's got to be some a few unifying elements that sort of drive us forward. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like this is a huge question, but I, I have <laughs> like you know some like a few thoughts on it, like a few examples. So imagine that. For, for something you value most, you will dedicate the most amount of resources um, mm -hmm. towards it, right? 
Um, so, for example, like the Egyptians, why did they build like these huge pyramid structures that took you know hundreds of years of investments in labor and in I don't know raw materials and planning and execution because they valued you know whatever mythological symbolic system that was associated with the pyramids and the building of the pyramids. Mm -hmm. The leaders probably valued that that to the highest degree. Or you see like these magnificent uh, churches in in Europe or or even mm -hmm. around Canada um, that are like these huge, gorgeous, most beautiful places. Um, like why do people spend so much time and energy on that? It's like because they value what's what it represents. So it, you think about, okay, so what are the resource, what are the projects and enterprises that we, our society spend, I don't know, like the most amount of money and resources and planning on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, to be cynical, all I can think about is like uh, giant shopping malls, <laughs> you know, so, so a, a kind of uh, value of, of capital and material exchange of material goods mm. um, and this like underlying consumer culture. Um, yeah, so maybe these beautiful giant shopping malls are modern day churches where we praise the gods of commerce and uh, capitalism <laughs> and, uh, you know, endless consumerism. Mm -hmm. you know, that's a cynical take on it, but you know, do you have do you have some other examples you could think of? Well, I'm trying to pick that apart too, because, um, so what is it, what is it about shopping malls that attracts people and makes them value uh, that whole system? Like, is it the acquisition of luxury items? Is it the acquisition of items that make your life easier? Like, it, it's a complicated idea. Like, what? do people actually want? What, what are the goods and services that people want? And I'm sure this is something that like businesses are always trying to figure out, but maybe it all boils down to maybe um, uh, satisfying your fundamental needs. Maybe it's, you know, trying to not be hungry all the time, trying, trying to have a delicious meal. Uh, maybe it's an appeal to sex. Maybe For sure. people want to be satisfied sexually or, or with some sort of, uh, sexual interest maybe people are just trying to not be bored um yeah maybe you can be reductionist and say like that's all it is people just value whatever satisfies the most basic instinct mm -hmm. um you know i yeah like food um food cells uh, sex cells they play you know good music Yep, it's very spacious, well-lit spaces, lots of people congregate. So there's a lot of elements are there, are there that humans are really attracted to, but it's mm -hmm. there in kind of like a, a perverse and suboptimal way, right? It's the, the purpose isn't to really give lasting satisfaction to the people who visit there, although it can, you know, for you know, certain purchases. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the, the main purpose is to drive that transaction, is to make the consumer open his wallets and pay however money to whatever shopping experience they pay for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here, here's one idea, like uh, a lot of, you know, so one of the values of our culture is individualism and individual freedom. And that in itself, I think, is a great idea, but where it gets kind of distorted is in a kind of consumer culture. So you have you have all these like I don't know clothing clothing lines and even like uh, Apple and Samsung that that kind of espouses that message, say be different, be unique. Um, the way you can be different and unique is by purchasing our different clothes and <laughs> you know and showing that off to other people. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a really weird, like it's, it's a, it's a weird sell because that's, 
you know, they're, they're not, I don't think the core intention is to help everyone become, you know, these distinct people. I, th I think there's a lot of um, kind of a history behind that of, of companies when they're selling to certain, when they target certain demographics and when they have like certain um, like tightly regulated, let's say demographics and on an audience to sell things to, like it makes their job much easier and make, makes it more effective, right? So if you can identify a demographic of young people, let's say, let's call them hipsters, then you can like design and pump out the products that that hipster demographic would like. Um, and you, you also help reinforce um, that kind of identity, that kind of group identity by pumping out these products. So, so there's this weird interaction between like uh, the consumers and the marketers. The, the consumers are kind of self-organizing, forming their own groups. The marketers identify that um, and kind of help that group mm. kind of polarize into its own by feeding them and selling them what they think they would want and what that group responds to. Um, so, so it's like, it's very fascinating, like consumer psychology and, and how marketing has through the like be yourself, express yourself movement, like conveniently grouped people off into you know, different demographic groups uh, to make the selling easier. Right? You know, there, there was a more legit article on that, that um, that's giving me kind of the inspiration for this, this rant. Um, and so one of, one of the other cool things I heard, uh, I was watching a show called Queer Eye. Um, okay. and it's, it's a show where, you know those old shows where like uh, these home improvement guys go in and like completely fix up a person's home? Mm -hmm. Well, this is that on steroids. It's like, it's a, it's a like all-star team of like uh, five gay dudes um, and they're, like one specializes in like fitness and food, one specializes in fashion, one specializes um, in like self-confidence, body image, like blah, 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 like, uh, and like renovations. So it's like a Avengers kind of team going in, <laughs> like just changing someone's outlook on life and like their home and like their mindset and everything. So that was super cool to see. But what one of the fashion people said about, you know, this guy's style, you know, this kind of sort of depressed, very self-deprecate, self-deprecating um, guy who was featured on the show. What he said to him was, "Yeah, like when you wear what you're wearing, it looks like the clothes are wearing you. You aren't wearing the clothes. Mm. You're like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> How can the clothes be wearing you? And and I think that rings back to the idea of like." You, you're wearing that just because I don't know it was marketed to you as like yeah oh that is something that someone of your demographic should wear right? it's you know because like like style and fashion as we've discussed can be a means of expressing what what is in the inside mm -hmm. <laughs> you know if if you're not attentive if you're you know the, the clothes can wear you and you see those, you know, posts on subtle Asian traits or something like that, where, you know, everyone in like a uh, Asian friend group is wearing those uh, Adidas uh, sweatshorts <laughs> and, you know, uh, a, like a black tee and a, you know, black hat or something. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's not exactly you. <laughs> the, the clothes are wearing you guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I'm uh, any better of a fashion expert or express myself like particularly well in those means, but it, I think it's a really funny kind of way to think about it. Mm -hmm. it I, I wonder if like a part of that is also people not taking responsibility for their own identity or, or not maybe not knowing how to do it um, and just, just taking what is fed to them. Um, I mean, I, I was guilty of this when I was younger. Um, like, like many kids, my mom dressed me, but my mom dressed me for like 19 years. Um, so I, I didn't really 
have a chance to develop my individuality until I sort of stepped out of it. Uh, but there's a certain level of comfort being in that zone where, you know, things are just kind of given to you, things are provided to you, and, and you just have to, like, take it, basically. It's its its own little heaven. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of industries are trying to uh, leverage that because when you think of entertainment, you know, entertainment is made so it's as easy as possible to consume for you and still brings the most amount of pleasure. Um, I, I feel like things like alcohol, that is, for me, it, it's such a, uh, such a terrible market, in my opinion, because it's, it's such an easy way to feel good about yourself. It's such an easy way to, um, you know, let loose and, and enjoy your time. But it comes with so many negative health effects that are never discussed, that are never really advertised, because you know, of course it wouldn't sell. Um, but because it's so easy, you know, alcohol, the, the markets are doing a hell of a job of selling it. And the, the branding of alcohol, if you look at it, the way that it's made, the, how attractive it is, and you know, even the color of the alcohol or the bottle and things like that, all of those things, uh, it's, it's not very good. I mean, they're, they're changing the, the laws on cigarettes, right? Like you can't make your cigarette packs uh, attractive anymore. They have to, and they have to have a certain proportion that is dedicated to warning labels. Uh, and I feel like we should make the same move for alcohol, although I, I feel like people are a lot more reticent towards that. Um, uh, even with marijuana, which has been legalized now, like the, the packaging and the advertising is very, very, very strict. And these are baby steps, of course. But um, I guess the, the whole thesis of that is, is to say, you know, there are people out there that are telling us what we should value. That's for certain. And it's becoming even easier and easier for these people to tell us what we should value, uh, especially with uh, improvements in, in marketing strategies uh, with advancements in social media technology. Um, and so I guess this is like the classic, you know, stay woke sheeple, you know, like yeah. there, there's, there's forces at hand that we don't, we don't see uh, that are influencing us every day. Yeah. Not to mention like we now have, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, capturing data on, you know, every single click <laughs> and, yeah. and maybe even our voices to an extent on our and our all our consumer choices are being fed into this learning algorithm to kind of reinforce a certain kind of identity so yeah i mean we talked about this crisis in identity um you know a few weeks ago and you know when when there's a deep what <laughs> deep need for a sense of identity then I guess the selling of values and the selling of identity uh, becomes, yeah, so so profitable, mm -hmm. um, and you know, doing that through through clothing or through targeted advertising and other means, it's it's very powerful, and if you're if you're not alert to it, you may very quickly find yourself becoming, you know. Uh, one of the herd, you know, not, not necessarily, it's not necessarily your, your fault. You know, you're, you're just seeking identity and, and belonging. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the easiest way is to consume what everyone else around you is consuming. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, but I, I think there's been a huge, huge backlash to that um, as, People become more aware of kind of the bullshit of of the like market economy that we've set up so far. Like it, it's it's great in certain aspects. It's great in like widely distributing food, and you know we don't have hunger as a fundamental problem mm -hmm. anymore. I'm, I'm actually you can't really say that in, in North America, but you know, for a good amount of the population. You know, but there are other deep needs that are not being filled. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is also like 
largely a uh, a personality thing. You know, a lot of people are very agreeable or, or don't question these kind of things, and so just follow the herd. And I guess it works out for them. Like they they're not having big problems in their life. I I don't think. Um, but but it feels like the people who recognize it and um, get who get tired of being told what they should like, they end up going to a place where they get to dictate what they like. And, and what I, what happens as a result is that, you know, people follow that. Like you look at Steve Jobs, right? He, he sort of took his own route in, in innovation uh, with his iPhone and uh, all those products. And like he ended up selling these. Like it, his mission at the very end was, it was to force his brand or to put out his brand and make it different than everyone else. Like you, you take a look at the iPhone designs now, like there's no USB port or there's no like, I, the, there's no headphone jack. Like that's, that's value. That's like virtue signaling. I don't know. Like it's, it's pushing their own values. Um, and so maybe the danger is danger of being too woke is that you start to uh, appeal to people who think in a similar way, but, don't know, don't understand that they're under the influence of all these societal things. So maybe it's unavoidable is, is sort of the thing I'm suggesting. Maybe, you know, the stronger personalities who have a better sense of their identity will end up being the ones that share their identity and put it out there for other people to follow. Leaders and followers, right? Just a classic, classic mm -hmm. split. Yeah. And you know, while, while we say all this, we should also recognize that, you know, we have many identities that have been kind of fed to us and that we've very gladly accepted many for like our benefit, mm -hmm. you know, um, like we are pretty, you know, we're, we ended up as, as med students, as, you know, <laughs> as sons of Korean immigrants to Canada, you know, so, so that's, that's a pretty, um, well packaged, um, and easy to consume maybe. Maybe not easy, but um, you know, readily packaged <laughs> instant identity uh, to consume, um, and and we've adopted that, and and to a degree, it makes life a lot easier. Um, just knowing that you are oh you are a medical student, and then once you further identify oh I want to be a merge doc I want to be a psychiatrist. And you know those are all great, like formal established identities passed down that we've mm -hmm. adopted. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. The there's a danger of just accepting blindly, um, and when identities needs to shift and values need to change, then then you really need that like leadership um, to to demonstrate that this new uh, identity or this new way of uh, interacting and doing things um, works in the world when you prove that then you, you get other other people will follow um, you know example being you know Steve Jobs example being uh, what's his name Paul Farmer Jim Young Kim and partners in health you know, so yeah like if you if you have some different thought and you think what you're doing can work in the world then you know it's your it's your job to pursue that mm -hmm. i uh, on that note let's let's talk about stubbornness so this week <laughs> i i encountered something so one of my friends friends uh, -huh. uh are having some relationship problems so there's a guy and a girl um and this sort of spurred uh because of some incidents. So the, the guy was uh, sort of annoyed by this other girl and his girlfriend sort of caught on to that. And how the guy, this is gonna be really hard to explain without saying names. All right, I'm, I'm gonna start over. Okay, right. so there's a dude and there's a girl. Dude and girl. The dude talks to another girl. All right, that is not his girlfriend. That is not his girlfriend. That sort of annoys him and, and ticks him off. Yep. So the dude gets annoyed, tells his girlfriend, you know, I've, this, she's being a bib. Yeah. And 
the girlfriend reacts to like reacts to the saying why do you care so much like why are you so annoyed yeah are you interested in that other girl yeah and the dude's of course saying no like that's that's not it at all i'm just insulted i'm just annoyed i'm like i'm i'm hurt essentially by by this other girl but the girl the, his girlfriend thinks that that's a show of interest yeah okay so now we have two different perspectives <laughs> right yeah. two different uh way, ways of thinking about the the same issue now the, the way that my friend who knows these people explained it to me was that this conflict has been brewing for like a week and they wouldn't stop talking about the same thing despite the fact that both of them are trying to explain their own sort of idea and like neither of them are really conceding to the other person uh-huh so there's a serious case of stubbornness on, on both ends yeah so the the maybe the question is when you have two different perspectives and and two different sort of ways of thinking how do you compromise between those two and how do you compromise especially when let's say one of them is thinking through emotion and maybe not the most rational way and the other is trying to be reasonable but is not explaining things properly or in, in a way that is rational to the other person. Right. How do you how do you remediate that? Mm. Wow, I'm this expecting... is some relationship counseling here. Yeah, yeah. Wow, this is cool. <laughs> not that I am uh, any kind of expert or anything, but I want to um, hear your opinion. I, with my limited knowledge um, from the two books that I read, <laughs> right? So, like. As as soon as you mentioned that, um, the in response to the dude, the girlfriend was like, "Oh, are you interested in her?" No, you can you can see, okay, there there's something more like underneath there. Mm -hmm. okay? So so like in that small phrase, you can detect a kind of like, is is there a kind of jealousy? Is there is there a kind of insecurity about? the guy's attraction towards her. Like there, there's all these probably underlying um, kind of emotional tensions and conflicts that have not been resolved. And it's just manifesting as this one sentence. So so when she says, oh, like, are you interested? It's, it's not just a question of um, like, do you like that girl? Like it's, it's not a literal statement. It's, it's like a more of an emotional, like, uh, alarm right as you could say like have you lost interest in me for some reason um mm. why you know why are things not the same right you, you gotta you gotta explore the sub communication um that people are sending especially you know i i think with with a lot of women let's say and I, I can't really say this authoritatively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. I, I'm no expert, but but people who think in more emotional ways or communicate uh, through like emotional subtexts, right? So so you really got to explore that and, and try to get to the bottom of that. The, but you know this guy, let's say this dude, uh, who is replying like in a defensive way, like no, I'm not interested in that girl. Like why would that annoy me? So like that might signal to me that, okay, may maybe this person's problem, this dude's problem is that he's not really in touch with his emotional self, right? So like, even if it was the case that he had like slight uh, feelings towards the girl, he might not be able to recognize that in himself. Or if he did kind of lie to himself conveniently through a rationalization with something like that girl is so annoying right where the source of the annoyment could have been like i want to show interest in this girl but she doesn't seem to reciprocate like something like that mm. i don't know the situation but you know so so there's a need for you know kind of a balancing there so if the guy if the dude could be a little more cognizant of his emotional state um and like comfortable with it maybe and like try to really explore the tension like 
of that like oh why am i like attracted towards this other person like what do i see in them or you know that i'm like lacking or that i feel that i lack from my current partner like those those are like very vulnerable like issues that you know can take a lot of time and energy to work through it can be convenient to be like oh that person is annoying um but but at the root of it that's not going to be the main issue and and for the girl you know if she could also explore that subtext and you know here bring it to a more rational more let's say articulated form say that you know i've i've been noticing that i've felt as though that uh, you haven't been giving me as much attention lately um, and i feel jealous when um, i see you with other girls you know regardless of whether you're interested in them or not that's that's how i feel like so you know there there's both of them could work to balance and, and understand like you know each other because right they're two fundamental different strategies of like kind of understanding the world more mm -hmm. through like an emotional lens and more through like a, through a rational lens mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know i don't know if i was i don't know being being a couple's uh therapist or counselor would be really damn hard <laughs> but but I, I think the like underlying like psychological development that has to happen there is something like that. Right. And I think it's it's really interesting because maybe I led led this question a bit, but like a lot of times we talk about women as being like emotional thinkers and yeah. men as being rational thinkers. And I, I don't know how much of how much evidence there is behind that. Um, it seems like, you know, all the all the old men you talk to, um, they, they agree that that's the case. I've never really had a, a good like female perspective on that. My my friend who was telling me about these two is actually also uh, is also a girl, and she she did see both sides, but did end up sort of siding with the girlfriend, saying, you know, it was kind of not. It was. I don't know if impolite or inappropriate. It was inappropriate for the guy to sort of say it in the way he did in terms of like, like why, why would he bring up that he's annoyed by this other girl uh, in the first place? That, that was sort of the reasoning. Like why was that such a big issue to him? And supposedly like he, he had made it a pretty big issue. Um, and I think what that did was it signaled to the girlfriend, like this is more than just simple annoyance. This is like, you know, th there's something there, and and that to them was rational. That that was reasoning, yeah. because they, it pulled from evidence that. Um, oh, sorry, it, it still pulls from evidence. Maybe not necessarily like situational or or a situational evidence, but evidence in terms of uh, like social evidence, like you know. When, when when a person talks a lot about something like it, it's a sort of a expression of interest whether or not it's distaste or uh, it's it's like a positive interest um, so that that to me was interesting that that became the sort of underlying fact base for for which uh, these conclusions are built so all to say, is that really emotional thinking or is it sort of a rational thinking of a, of a different kind that incorporates different sorts of evidence? That's hard to know. And I feel like that's something that a lot of guys don't understand. And I'm sure like girls also don't understand the other way around where, you know, if we were to completely rely on situational evidence, considering the fact that the girlfriend didn't actually know what the guy actually felt, right? Like. We, we don't know like maybe he was interested like you said maybe he was interested the whole time but yeah. on the surface level it's it seems like he's not at fault at all because he didn't make any moves or anything yeah yeah i mean like one thing to say is like we see what we expect to see or, or want to see in the world or um we see right so our, our perception of things is dictated by mostly by our expectations because mm -hmm. this is like a you know 
major point in terms of like the, the, the neuroscience of how we perceive the world. If we were to have to like, you know, interpret like from bottom up every single piece of information that is coming to us like from all possible different angles, um, then we would be something like tripping all the time, like tripping balls all the time. There's way too much information to handle. Right. So our brain manages that load is by um, creating well-packaged expectations of what we expect to see in the world, like compresses it, um, and then really literally changes the world we see around us like based on what we expect to see. Right. So if a girl there expected that like based on her like current emotional state, or emo an emotional state based on uh, maybe jealousy or maybe insecurity, um, then what she will see in that behavior, like like literally see, you know, as as like a gripping and uh, in, in the sense that oh that that has to be the case that has to be true. Um, she will see her boyfriend and interpret her boyfriend's actions as something like oh, he's showing interest in that other girl. And like that, that may have an element of truth to it. Like we don't know, we can't like go into the psyche of, of that dude and, and mm -hmm. I don't know, figure it out. But however, you know, whatever degree of truth that was, you know, the, the girl in that situation will interpret that as being most true, as being most resonant with her current emotional state. Um, so, you know, <laughs> How how do you tease? Then how do you really tease tease out like what's really true? Well, I don't know. In in that situation, there's there's probably a number of truths at play, right? There, like probably like some fraction of the guy will have maybe an interest. Maybe if you like really 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 think about it, maybe if you like really didn't like that person at some level. <laughs> there's like a slight potential let's say of, of interest in that girl so from some perspectives like that might be true but if if you can kind of change your values and and the way you see someone in a different way that, then kind of different truths about them will manifest mm -hmm. right? so um if you can see that person as someone who is trustworthy someone who is honest and when i like approach them they will reveal like the truth to me and like in a in, in a good way like if you approach with that frame of mind um then you can interpret that information as well i, I don't i don't really know what's going on let's mm. let's ask him and when you ask him you'll like act in a spirit of you'll be manifesting, you know, what you feel about and what you think about that person. So instead of being like, like, why, why did you talk to her? It'll be something like, Hey babe, like I was wondering, like, you know, what, yeah. What, what upsets you so much about her? Like, you know, and, and that can reveal very different truths from like one situation mm -hmm. based on the, the values and perception you bring to a situation. Right. And I think that's like such a cool phenomenon. Like that that's another expression of that is the um, self-fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, that's a very well-documented like psychological phenomenon where if you think that like, oh, I'm such a loser at this party or, or have some kind of belief, like you will manifest that um, and other people seeing what you manifest will react in, you know, that way thus confirming your self-generated belief that like, yes, I am such a loser. Nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> it's a very like <laughs> quickly degrading cycle, but that like, that's the power that like shifting a perspective and learning to embody a different um, value or perspective can have. Like it, it literally changes how you interact with others and how others interact with you. So, so in that, in those situations, Although it can be really difficult, you you really want to break that, recognize and break that pattern of of jealousy and and mistrust, mm. and and try to bring forth a, a different kind of truth uh, from the other person and, and invite 
their best selves mm. instead of their most, you know, kind of jealous, whiny selves to come forward. And maybe, you know, treated in that way, the guy might respond, you know what? Yeah, like maybe I have this like long history with this girl. Like, you know, I, I liked her before. Like, is it really complicated? Um, but, you know, I, so maybe that was coming up again, but like, I know that like, I, I won't bring her up again and I'm gonna like focus, I'm dedicated to this relationship, blah, blah, blah. Like, like you know, so, something, I do. <laughs> something more for sure can happen. Yeah. <laughs> I think that it does, but it, it, it's not impossible. And, and it shouldn't be unreasonable to expect from like mature people and you know that 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 would be a sign of emotional competence i i think it's a lot more rare than uh than you can hope for uh i'll be honest and i, I feel like this is why you know it's like 50 percent of marriages end in divorce right like people don't end up figuring this out and i think you put it beautifully when when you said like you you have to see this other person as someone you can trust and someone who will tell the truth when you ask them a question. And I think that perspective breaks down over time, like, you know, with small injuries, like um, like small lies that happen, or when you start to lose uh, faith in someone. Mm -hmm. um, so trust is the most fundamental and foundational uh, aspect of any relationship, I suppose. And yeah, like it, we need a reminder that we need to take on that perspective when we we want to make the relationship work. There's there's also the alter alternative that you just don't want the relationship to happen, and in which case no amount of perspective changing is going to really uh, change how you perceive things. Like you, you could try, but I, I think when the the goal is lost, then you know the the attitude also follows. So yeah. Cool. That's really cool. I think it's something we can uh, extrapolate to to a lot of things. Actually, perspective. I, I I haven't thought about perspective in a very long time. Yeah. So your your perspective changes the way. No, no, just changes your world. Yeah. Changes your world. <laughs> Quite simply, yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Good. Close it off there. Do you have? Yeah, I think that's a good place to. Okay. end off um yeah another fun fun footnote <laughs> good good perspective good conclusion here okay let's let's uh let's just cut it there all right all right thanks, thanks all for listening and uh, hopefully you can go and uh test out your perspectives too and uh, keep an open mind uh, as we travel through this uncertain world together and uh, that doesn't really sum <laughs> sum up the podcast but uh, bye bye <laughs>